again for another episode of the Servant Leader Coaches Bible Study. I am your host, Coach Chelsea, and I'm super excited, guys. Oh my goodness, we have been, if you're just now tuning in with us, we have been truly celebrating our three years of this podcast. We started out in the midst of the pandemic. It started as a seven-day Bible plan on servant leadership and serving and leading like Christ. And then we said, this can't stop. And now we look up and it's three years and three years strong. And as we continue to move in this and celebration and just continue to sharpen the iron of myself and others that we bring on, we have a servant leader on today that I just know for a fact, it was not by happenstance. It was not by accident that we cross paths. It is such an amazing uh, blessing when you're able to connect with people who you've been kind of praying on a certain topic, you've been praying for, you know, certain answers for people that you talk with in the day to day, and then the answers just kind of fall in your lap. And today's servant leader is amazing. We talked a little bit before we came on and, you know, talking a little sports talk even. So we have servant leader Charles Utter with us today. He is a former coach of basketball, cross country track. He is also an author. Uh, he has so many things that he's going with, and I'm going to let him share that with you all. But more than anything, you all, he brings a, he's going to bring a spin today that I truly have been praying for in this fourth quarter that we've been talking about. So more than anything, Charles, I want to say this to you. I thank you for your time. Time is one of those things that once it's given, I can't give it back. And I think it's a precious gift. And I thank you for sharing that gift along with your presence today. So I'm going to pass the torch to you to say hello to our listeners. We're going to get this conversation started. There's well, hello, and, th and thank you for that uh, wonderful introduction, Chelsea. I appreciate that. Uh, Absolutely. I, uh, I don't know how in-depth you want to go, but uh, <clears throat> I always tell everybody I'm just the average guy. <laughs> uh, who had an experience that uh, maybe a little bit unusual, but um, I was one of probably 2,500 uh, people who had that experience, or maybe not quite that many, but uh, um, and uh, was uh, fortunate to be able to uh, um, get stories from people that had experienced some really awful things. Uh, with a uh, priest who, other than the fact that he was an abuser of women mostly, well, uh, exclusively women, uh, fortunately for us boys, uh, he wasn't uh, after us. But uh, anyway, um, he uh, um, was um, a really outstanding person, other than the fact that he was an abuser. Um, so. The, my story called Roman Collar Crime, the, the trans, uh, trans, transgressions of a uh, uh, small town priest was, was just an amazing story because th this was a town of a thousand people in southwestern North Dakota. 
that had a high school, a Catholic high school of 250 kids. It was a boarding school. So about half the kids that went there were uh, lived on farms and uh, a significant distance away or other small towns around there. And um, so you wouldn't expect that uh, the kinds of things that happened would be possible in a small community like that. But they were. And the essence of the story is that the reason that this activity was enabled was because um, people were true believers. Uh, the Catholics in this community were traditional Catholics. They loved their priests, no matter who they were, and they would not believe anything negative about their priests. In fact, if uh, stories began to circulate, and, and it was the kids that circulated, and the, the parents would never talk about something like this. Uh, but the stories that, when they, uh, that circulated uh, were just never believed by the parents. In fact, uh, if I would ever say anything at home, I was a discipline immediately. You do not talk uh, about a priest like that. And so he was able to to uh, get away with, uh, you know, his activities for 20 years. So this priest came into our community in 1954 when I was eight years old. And he had his first child in 1955. And he's a Catholic priest. So they're celibate, right? No, not this one. Um, and unfortunately, one of the reasons that this book is important is because there's too many of them that aren't, that's, that, that pr pr uh, purport to be celibate, but aren't. Um, so, but a child right away, and he started abusing uh, women in the parish, um, broke up five marriages that I know of. Um, he uh, would reward his um, young ladies that wanted to become nuns with a rewards trip to hotels that he owned in Disneyland. How did he get the money to buy hotels? He stole it from the offertory. Now, you can't get much out of an offertory in a, a town of 1,000 people with mostly farmers, okay, and small business people. Mm -hmm. But he was fortunate to have a friend who was the uh, financial advisor, uh, ad, uh, advisor for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, who was acquainted with Joseph Kennedy. And Joseph Kennedy, John JFK's father, mm -hmm. was not an honest man. He was pumping and dumping uh, oil stocks in Alaska in a fraudulent activity. And this priest was uh, able to invest there and made a fortune in a very small period of time and was one of the uh, key uh, people who got out ahead of the crash. And then he took his money and he invested it in, uh, um, uh, I can't think of the company right now, but uh, it was the company that invested the, uh, invented the, the birth control pill. Mm -hmm. And here's a Catholic priest. Um, birth control is a mortal sin, and he's investing in the birth control pill, and he tripled his money in three years. And so he was able to take those dollars, and um, once uh, 
Kennedy was out of the the oil business, uh, he learned the real estate business from the Catholic hierarchy. They were always top notch in real estate, and, you, and the church has a reputation for holding some significant real estate properties around the country and around the world. And so he learned the real estate business, and this priest learned it as well. And so he was able to acquire 12 hotels over his lifetime. And the girls that he took to the hotels in Disneyland that he owned, three of them, um, were taken advantage of. And I learned this from his sister-in-law. Uh, he had hired his brother to run his hotel empire. And his sister-in-law was familiar with what was going on whenever the priest brought these girls in uh, to the hotels. And she, she really hated the guy. And she talked nonstop. I think I had a three-hour conversation with her or something and before her son said, stop talking to that guy. <laughs> 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 but I had all the information I needed. So anyway, I had <clears throat> uh, multiple resources. And one of the things that you'll find really interesting is the guy, um, as I said, he was pretty smart. He needed to hide the rumors. Mm-hmm. A stifle the rumors and what he since he had a lot of money he went out and he hired rock star athletic coaches mm. and he brought them he paid them inordinate amounts of money mm-hmm. five times what they could earn anyplace else and brought him into the community now the the first one was named ron Earhart, and he's my high school football coach who have en- ended up being the head coach of the New England Patriots. Mm-hmm. You're talking about quality coaches, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, he was only 26 at the time, and it was his first head job, but still, uh, he had a reputation as a college football player and as a, uh, an assistant at a big school in North Dakota, so uh, he was paid those dollars, and he ended up uh, uh, leaving town with a 25-game winning streak. <laughs> <laughs> My, I had two high school basketball coaches. One was his cousin. Again, paid inordinate amounts of money to attract him to come to this small town. And uh, he ended up sleeping with his wife, got caught, and the coach grabbed his gun, and he was going to shoot him. But uh, the uh, small town uh, cop was able to get there about the same time that he was. He did. They went to the to the parish house to to, to uh, confront the priest, and they are able to talk him out of it, but nobody ever found out about this. So this is this is a big deal, and mm-hmm. nobody found out about it. Then he of course left, and the next coach uh, came out of Billings, Montana. He had the best record in basketball and football in the history of high school sports in Montana, and he was able to get him to come to the again to this small town and coach the basketball team and future coaches as well and we were in the state tournament every year and our football team hardly ever lost a game and we had uh, wrestling teams that won state titles and it was the people fell in love with this priest i mean more so than uh, because he was a priest because he was able to to bring all of these awesome teams into the community and and uh, basically put it on the map so uh, that's uh, you know kind of how he was able to get away with all of this for uh, 20 years Uh, 
even though the um, assistant priests that were in the community and teaching in the school would go to the bishop because they would find out about these rumors. And, you know, I don't know if you know how much you know about the Catholic Church, but there we have something called confession. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. I was made to go to confession every week. And if you didn't go to confession, you were in sin, mortal sin. And you were condemned until you went to confession and confessed, confessed it. So uh, these women, uh, when they were trying to limit the size of their family, uh, would use birth control. And again, that's against the law. It's just mortal sin. They confessed it, and the priest had that information. Mm -hmm. And uh, he basically uh, used that information to, to uh, uh, continue his perpetrations in, in the community. And, mm -hmm. and uh, the assistant pastors were the same. So they went to the bishop, uh, and the bishop uh, would hear their stories, politely say, uh, tell them to go back uh, to the community, uh, keep their mouth shut and mind their own business. Mm. And I personally knew four of those priests, uh, and it was the fifth one that finally said to the bishop, "I'm sorry, but I'm not going to stop. This has got to, this has got to be uh, exposed, and that person's got to be removed from the priesthood." Well, uh, that started a five-year process where. My sister joined with this priest and uh, five or six other people in the community, and they worked uh, basically against this pastor or against this bishop for that period of time, and ultimately were successful, but only because, if you know about Catholic schools, you know, especially in the past, who taught in those Catholic schools. They were nuns. They were holy women, but they were human beings. And if they got disenchanted, they could, uh, you know, be human. Mm -hmm. And the priest got caught having sex with two of the nuns that were teaching at the school. And when that was exposed, um, the bishop had no choice because the, the uh, head of the convent, the mother superior, and it was in Mankato, Minnesota, uh, she put pressure on the bishop, and uh, they were able to finally uh, get rid of this priest. If you're so, taking the AP environmental science exam, sorry about that. So anyway, that's the story of the book, and you know, I, it's a it's historical fiction. Uh, I didn't know all of the details of all of these events, but I knew of the events that occurred, and uh, I made up a way the way he died. Um, mm, okay. I personally had some issues. Um, I, I don't know how much that had formed me because I, I think mm. I, I always said that he piled on to the things that my dad had done, <laughs> done to me. <laughs> and so, so I'm not how much of, sure how much the priest uh, negatively impacted me, but uh, I was a basketball star. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I think some of the guys that hear this might be, might uh, question that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, you know, I was the only sophomore uh, uh, that uh, made the varsity, and we went to state, took second the year I played on, as a sophomore, and and uh, I was a sixth man, and and um, one night, uh, two of the, gu the starting guards got sick, and so I played, and 
one of the reasons I was a great player is because I could shoot lights out. And uh, I was exceptionally hot that night. And the coach would call timeout and he'd get the players to run plays to feed me the ball. And I'd, I scored 32 points that night. You know, I was wow. proud. The coach was excited. My teammates were excited. But the priest had watched the game from the bleachers. He comes down the, into the coach's office after the game and just lights into him. And we could hear the conversation because it was so loud. He was screaming at the coach. And the problem was that he had allowed a little bitty sophomore to excel when the team was made up of really outstanding senior players. Of course, two of them were out that day. But, uh, but anyway, he then took a, 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 and wrote this criticism uh, and posted it on the bulletin board in the school where everybody had to pass by when they changed classes and things like that. And the other thing was that I was, you know, maybe one of the reasons he came down on me so hard was because I was, uh, I was a rebel. One of his rules was no steady dating. You couldn't go out with a girl more than three times in a row without being classified as steady dating. Mm-hmm. And I got a girlfriend in the summer after our eighth grade. We dated for five years. It was steady dating exclusively, okay? That was steady. (laughs) (laughs) And he suspended us in our freshman year, our sophomore year, and our senior year. And the only reason he didn't suspend us in our junior year is because he had a bad car accident and he was out for a year. Otherwise, we probably would have gotten thrown out of school. But I uh, eventually broke up with this girl in a way she was a, um, uh, as pure as the driven snow. We, have a, we had a purely platonic relationship that entire time. And um, when we were freshmen in college, uh, I went out to visit her and she, she said, she's breaking up with me. And it was in the weirdest way. Uh, I didn't understand it. And then she uh, contacted my best friend and a great friend of hers from high school, which is a year or so later after she got out and started teaching. And she basically solicited, solicited sex from him. And when he, he tells me that when he, when she first started, you know, mentioning that he was laughing at her because he knew that wasn't her, mm-hmm. but she talked him into it. So, you know, how men are, they um, they can only resist. So, so much you know and when it's laid out there in front of you well he so anyway he he explained that to me and he said she was not a virgin so here's a girl that was suspended from high school for three times each time she was in his house uh being lectured to and giving been giving her punish getting her punishment i was uh, taken into the school office to get my lecture she went into his house. What happened there? You, you know, anybody knows. So I don't have a hundred percent certainty that that happened, but I'm pretty sure it did. So that was the impacts uh, from my standpoint. Mm-hmm. And I kind of gloried in the fact that when I started coaching, uh, one of the teams that I couldn't wait to play was my former high school. <laughs> <laughs> 
And unfortunately, I came up a game short because we lost the game when, when we thought we were going to advance. And, and so I never had the opportunity, but it was close. <laughs> <laughs> been there. Definitely yeah. been there. And, yeah. you know, Charles, it's it's crazy because if you're just tapping in and you're listening, you know, one of the things I was telling Charles is that this comes at a time that we've been talking about the fourth quarter, you know, how to serve and how to lead for, you know, the return of Christ. And in these last moments and times where it's truly being evident that trying to get individuals who have had church hurt of some form, that's that's one of the main things that I often hear is, you know, no, mm -mm, I'm not, no, I'm not going to church because X, Y, Z, or no, I had a pastor or a priest or a bishop who X, Y, Z, or no, it was this and that and X, Y, Z. And so this came at a time wherein it is, it is hard when, you know, when you take religion and you take any type of faith-based leader and you do, you place your trust in them because it is one of those things that you said, like growing up, we expect and the, the hope is that based off of their leadership, that they are leading and guiding us in the way that we should go. And when that trust is broken, right? It is, it is probably one of the single most hurtful things, right? That comes even outside of a parent, outside of blood family, because you do, you truly do lean in on these spiritual leaders. And so one of the things that I kind of have here and we've been talking about, and I want to ask you, um, which is a key point that your book explains, but how does one replace blind faith with a healthy approach to organizational loyalty. After all of these things that you've mentioned within this book and things that you even experienced yourself, talk a little bit to our listeners about kind of how to navigate through that once some of that hurt has taken place and our faith has been uh, crushed and broken. Well, you know, um, there is a positive to this uh, kind of black and white uh, faith that you're introduced to as a young person. And that um, you know, you never quit, quite quit believing in God. You know, you might not like a priest or the rules or whatever, but, but trust me, a huge percentage of the kids that went to this school over that 20 year period fell away from the church. Let's call it that. Okay. And many of them just quit going to church at all. And many of them have not come back. I was, I don't know, my mother was, uh, you know, just a rigid Catholic. Uh, she was a good Catholic mother. I mean, she helped us um, uh, pay attention to the, to the doctrine and the rules. And we went to church every Sunday. We went, I went to church every day for years uh, because I was in the school and I, I taught in a Catholic school for five years. But because of all of this, as I went off to college, I, I really became an atheist. Um, and so for that period of time, uh, I just didn't believe at all. And it was due to the fact that I had been had the experience of living with this priest and I just couldn't make the connection between God and a servant of so-called servant of God. It just didn't work for me. But uh, I went to a Catholic college so I was still around the religion, um, and then I graduated, and I went to uh, teach in a Catholic high school, 
Again, I was going to, to Mass every day. The priest there, though, ended up being my best friend. And he did more good for me than anybody in my life experience. And I'm so thankful for him. He's no longer with us. But, but uh, uh, and of course, that helped me then as I got married and started to think about family, uh, ask me myself, well, what am I going to do with my children? You know, is there an aspect of uh, the faith that, uh, you know, really helps you get through these uh, difficult times? And I concluded that, that there was. And so um, I, I raised them as Catholics. I became Mr. Catholic. Uh, I started going to church every Sunday. I started uh, receiving the sacraments and I uh, uh, volunteered for the parish council. So I served on the parish council. We had a, a school that uh, I sat on the school board. And um, then over time, uh, as time went on, you know, I was, I had faith, I was practicing it, but in my heart, there, it wasn't enough. And I, about 18 years ago, I was introduced to something called centering prayer. The, uh, the, the pers per per person that's behind that, that spread that message was Thomas Keating. He's got 20 books out there and you should read the first couple of them and really learn about this centering prayer thing because it's a meditative prayer where you learn to sit in silence and what it amounts to is listening to the Holy Spirit, receiving inspiration from the Holy Spirit. Now, you don't hear the Holy Spirit talk, but your life experiences uh, presents uh, events that as, or are just obviously uh, impacted by the, by the Holy Spirit changes that you that so surprise you positive changes that so surprise you that you know that it's the inspiration of the holy spirit and so i sit in prayer for a half an hour every day uh, i'd like to do more if i could but i'm a busy man and uh, that's not a good excuse by the way <laughs> <laughs> been there charles been there been working on that <laughs> It's a fact, but, um, you know, it's, and it's had a major impact on my life. And so, and it's introduced me to, to scripture. We, we do something called Lexio Divina, which is uh, reading scripture passages on and uh, meditating on them and trying to pick out the phrase or, or words that are most meaningful, uh, meaningful at the time. And, and so you get to uh, understand scripture in a way that you never could by just reading the Bible. I, I actually uh, have read the Bible from cover to cover, which is kind of um, my style, but uh, I didn't get much out of it then, but I'm sure uh, happy about uh, what I'm learning in, in Lexio Divina and Centering Prayer. And it's made a huge difference in my life. And so I've, I feel like uh, at my older age here, I'm pretty much getting past all this uh, the stuff that, you know, had happened to me as a youth and happy to my happened to my uh, contemporaries and my family and and uh, all of that so 
I think that's, that's awesome. And I laugh though, because, you know, one of those things that I've been working on much like you, because we are, and we are busy, right? And and that's been one of my goals is just to continue to be intentional. And that's what you definitely explained. I sat here and I made those notes for myself is the intentionality of just taking a moment and stealing away. As my grandmother used to always say, stealing away and just standing still and letting mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit speak to us, you know? I'll never forget this. It was explained to me and it was like, you know, prayer is a conversation. Truly, a lot of times, especially for a person that is new to the faith and new to prayer, it's made this big grandioso gesture and it it it, it is it intimidates people. But one of the things I've learned for a long time now, and this was so golden, this individual said to me, he said, you know, prayer is a conversation, right? And so I'm sitting here talking to you and after you said everything you said, imagine me getting up and just walking away. You probably sit and look at this computer and say, well, what is, who is this Chelsea girl y'all told me I needed to talk to, right? <laughs> but we do that so often, right? Like we pray and we say amen, and then we get up and we go on about our day. But then it's like, okay, well, I've done that, but I don't, I don't know. The Holy Spirit didn't speak to me. And I'll never forget this this minister said to me, he said, but did you sit and listen when it was your turn to listen? And then from that moment, I've been very intentional, much like what, what you're talking about, even in my business, um, you know, I have a one-year-old, she's my first little, little person. And so that was even an adjustment to my days and spending time, um, you know, just in my word and in my secret moments of devotion. So it is, it is one of those things that I've definitely learned to practice, but we're busy but you said it best, that intentionality is what I love that you've spoken out about. Yeah. And, you know, as I hear more and more and definitely going to, you know, delve into this book, but, you know, speaking to the, the listeners and those that are listening, you know, later, how do I, how do we, I want to go here. How do we work on building that trust back? You know, you just spoke about that, that you did. I mean, you know, you went through a period of time where you didn't believe, you know, and thankfully with the right people that came along your path, you know, you got back on the right path and, you know, especially for, you know, your children and, and you know, that was, that's huge imparting that. And so getting back in your faith and now practicing and being in that, that space again, how would one servant leaders, those that are have had, you know, maybe their faith broken, how can they work to build that faith back, not only in those that, you know, in leadership, but in, you know, faith and in, in God themselves? Well, that, you know, that's a tough question because everybody is so different. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I think that. Uh, by and large, it's it's life cir- circumstances. You know, if you've got a any background of, of uh, Christianity, uh, Bible, or whatever, you've always got this image of God. And there's so many things that happen that are not explainable in any way, except that it's got to be from God. And... Um, I was just at a retreat, for example, uh, for four days, and it was a silent retreat. Uh, And I read a book called Understanding God as God Is. And I have never been so challenged in my life uh, as to understand and to accept 
God as God is, because God can give you some great things. I mean, some people get enrichment, um, uh, you know, financial enrichment. Some people get emotional enrichment. Some, and he, these are all good things that are coming down from on high. But then at the same time, you can always expect the challenges as well. And, you know, what God, God is love. He wants us to manifest love and learning to trust him unconditionally is the key to, uh, you know, to moving, to moving forward. Now, how does this happen for more and more people? Um, I, you know, I like to say to, to people, uh, and it's a tough, tough sell, uh, read Thomas Keating, consider centering prayer, because it's going to be a kind of commitment to God and to self that you probably hadn't considered before. Uh, there's not going to be any mandates or any rules or any really discussion of sin. He talks about a, 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 a true self, which is the way we are born. God makes, uh, uh, we're all born perfectly, but because of inadequate nurturing, we begin to develop systems, compensation systems that we uh, use to try to get our way to get better nurturing and we get invested in those systems and it builds what we what he calls a false self and those are the the false self when we act out of the false self that's what creates uh anger it's what re, what creates dishonesty it requires uh, and all the you know all the sins come from this from the false self and so in this meditative prayer, the Holy Spirit helps you work through this false self. And eventually, it just kind of, um, it's the word I want to use, uh, it kind of it it works itself out, okay? It kind of goes away. Not, not completely, but uh, to a great extent. Well, I'll give you an example. I've been uh, praying for about... Uh, Oh, two or three years and uh, going to a prayer group and things like that. And, mm -hmm. and I, I was a highly volatile, very angry person. Uh, in fact, I was so reactive that I told my priest friend that I had never sinned because if you had to uh, recognize that it was wrong and do it anyway, <laughs> that wasn't me. I never, I never had time to think about it. I was, mm -hmm. it was a, a total reaction. It was extreme. And it, it created problems. And when, the, when I would get in an argument with my wife, uh, it would manifest itself in the worst of ways because I was going to win the argument no matter what. And the best way to do that was shout her down. And so one night we're getting into one of these tiffs. And all of a sudden, she said something that would have just gotten me going big time. And I didn't say a word. Mm -hmm. And immediately I thought to myself, it's working. Oh my God. It's working. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it hasn't been a straight line, you know, progress, right. but, uh, you know, it's just really transformed my life. And so um, I think that, you know, sitting in silence and, and kind of listening rather than 
asking for things rather than mm-hmm. presenting problems because God's not going to give you everything you want. That's He's right. going to give you everything, give you everything you need. Come on. Yeah. And, and so, um, that's, that's what I would recommend as far as, you know, um, how do I lead people to that? Well, uh, I, uh, Emma, uh, uh, I'm involved in in, uh, the introduction of Centering Prayer to groups of people, so I do part of the presentation. I've facilitated classes on Centering Prayer, and I think those are all positive things. I'm Mm -hmm. currently encouraged in a a program in one of the Catholic schools in in the Denver area, because I think that, you know, the centering prayer movement is is made up of people who have uh, suffered, you know, mm-hmm. They've lived their life. And uh, like me, they said to themselves at some point, man, there's got to be something better than this out there, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they gradually came to this new way of, of thinking about God and praying. And, but they're old, they, you know, and, you know, they might have some influence in their family if they're willing to uh, let themselves uh, advocate, but uh, we need young people. Mm-hmm. And this is very difficult for old people, much less young people, because it's not the, the, uh, the, you know, the fallback position that a young person is going to take when he begins to struggle with life. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think we see that on our streets these days. Kids going out and going crazy in the streets and doing things that God Almighty, they would have never done it. And, and in fact, if you were with them one-on-one uh, in the family, uh, they probably wouldn't think of it doing it, you know, in that respect either. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just crazy. So we need to, to find some way of introducing these kinds of things, this special uh, love relationship with God that mm-hmm. teach young people and all people to manifest love in ways that have never been done before. In the by, by the masses, you know, this shouldn't be just a few really uh, saintly people who are effectively manifesting love around the world. It should be the majority of us, as many of us as we can um, marshal, and the world will then change. Ah, uh, that's so good. Oh my gosh, that is so good. You know, I'm sitting here smiling really big because there's always moments, right, that God shows Himself. Um, every day for me, but in these calls. And uh, those that are continuous listeners knows that one of my favorite, you know, devotional type moments for myself to spend with God is called My God is Devotional. So when you said that, I was smiling really big because one of the practices that I like to do, sometimes I get a chance to write it down. Oftentimes I don't. Um, Because there's a little person that's occupying my hands. But what I'll do is, you know, and you know this to be true, just in our days and we're not perfect. You know, there's there's moments where, you know, we may fall short or, you know, because we're going through something, we forget the goodness of him. Right. And God, my God is devotional. It centers me kind of like your center in prayer. It centers me because it allows me to to know what he is. Right. You all Mm -hmm. you know, you said something that was really huge that. A lot of times we pray in asking, right? But that centering prayer allows us to legitimately be in a, in a space to recognize him for who he is and listen to him and be in his presence. And that's what my God is devotional does. And I'll say like God is, and 
I'll just go in a moment of just thinking of all the things he he is, right? Not in my moments of because he gave an answer my prayer, right? Because like you said earlier, which was big, he doesn't give us what we want. He gives us what we need, right? And my God is devotional is something I like to hear from servant leaders because I'll say God is and I'll let it just keep going, right? He's this, he's my healer. He's this, he's this, you know? And of course, I'm not going to give you a list. We're going to make it a little bit harder for you today. <laughs> but if I were to say God is, and I drew an imaginary blank, like just right here on this screen, how would you fill that blank in this moment? God is what to you? I know it could be many things. How would you feel that blank for that space you're in right now? You know, um, God is the is the person that heals me. Ah, oh, yes. And He, through the Holy Spirit, enables me to recognize what needs to be healed. Mm. And you know, I, I used uh, I used to have these explosions that I talked about frequently. It was and oh man, as I began to pray, they they started to go away. These big ones, and I haven't had a big explosion for six years. Mm -hmm. You know, so it took twelve years for that to go away. A prayer. But now it's gone. Unfortunately, the little ones are still there. <laughs> 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 uh, but I believe that that the uh, the Holy Spirit keeps, you know, trying to it just keeps knocking on the door and say, "Hey, um, this is what we can do together. Let's get to work on it." And, uh, okay. yeah. So I really, I really think that the, that that's the key is to. Uh, to trust, you know, I don't think you're going to ever be able to explain real well who God is and mm -hmm. how you relate to God. You just have to trust. You have to just know that he's there, that he exists, that he's love. He is love and uh, trust. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, uh, you'll... Um, ignore the bad things that happen to you you'll uh, you know appreciate the great things that happen to you and uh you'll understand that in the mix you're gradually becoming a better person for for all of that i think that's so awesome i think that is so awesome and that is right on time the specificity of that right uh that not only is God the person that heals me? But through the Holy Spirit, he helps me to see what needs to be healed. That is so big. Like, I'm gonna tell you why that's big, right? Because so often, and you know this to be true, right? We feel that we know the answer, right? We'll go, we'll pray to God about the things that we need. And then we step out there, uh, Coach Corey Close at UCLA for the women's basketball team. She said, she opened up when she came on and she said, you know, it's my deepest prayer that I'm able to give it all to God. But my biggest prayer is that I don't try to take it back. And so often we do that, right? It's unintentional on my part, at least, but we do, we pray. And then we start to move our feet. Like, well, God, 
I'm just trying to help you out a little bit. And it's like, guys, like, I don't need an assistant coach. I'm, I got it, right? I know how to delegate. But one of the things that's amazing about it is the Holy Spirit, right, is his assistant coach. And what it allows us to do is much like you said, it gives us that presence of mind to know exactly where I need him to fall in my life. And I think that was so huge because it's one thing to say, I know he's a healer. But sometimes, and, and I do this, I can only speak for me, but I know people do this all the time. We know what he's capable of, but we don't give him everything. Like we try to limit him a lot. Coach Yo at Ole Miss, she always says no ceilings, right? No ceilings. Right. And it's so amazing because that's how God is. There's no ceilings. There's there's no barrier or boundary or anything they can't do. And so when you mentioned that, you said it helps that Holy Spirit allows me to see what actually needs to be healed because he can't come into a place that we don't invite him to. And often we do that. Right? We'll say, God, I need you, but then we shut ourselves off. Yeah. We say, God, I need you, but we get up from the conversation. Go ahead. Yeah. Thomas Keating, in his discussion of the of true self and false self, uh, you know, the false self is the, the self that we create and we're invested in. We think that that's who we are. But in order to make progress, we have to give up some of that false self, eventually all of that false, false self. And how many people want to give up who they think they are? Mm -hmm. They're mm -hmm. in love with what they think they are. Mm -hmm. So it's a tough process. Uh, you got to really, again, I go back to the word trust. You got to trust that, hey, this is going to be hard. I'm going to be a different person. I may lose some of the attributes that I really think are great about me mm -hmm. uh, because they're not really great, but I think they are. And and uh, I don't I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, over time, uh, as those kind of get a get uh, recognized and re revealed to you, um, then you make this progress that uh, is so rewarding. So awesome, you know. As we kind of start to close this thing in, you know, I, I am, I'm still just in awe though of this book. And I want you to take a little bit of time and let our listeners know where they can actually go to purchase this book. Um, and then I want you to lead a little bit further into what do you want the reader to ultimately get out of this story that you so courageously we're able to give an account of? Well, um, what was the first part of the, first part of the question? <laughs> Just let them know when they can grab the book. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I tend not to be a self promoter. So uh, I forget to talk about where you can buy the book. And of course, it's you're on Amazon. Uh, you can, uh, your, library, your uh, bookstore can buy it on, uh, uh, I can't think of the place though. Well, uh, uh, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million. Yeah, you can get it on Bar <laughs> Barnes and Noble. Yeah, that, that <laughs> okay. uh, but anyway, uh, uh, it's available on Kindle and paperback on uh, uh, Amazon. It's twelve ninety five for the paperback, four ninety five I think for the for the Kindle. Um, I'd appreciate it if you go there. Uh, you'll love the book if you read the uh, the um, reviews. Uh, there's significant numbers of reviews there, and they're overwhelmingly five-star. So uh, 
I think that's proof positive that people are enjoying this book. And, and the reason that I um, think it's so important and what people should get from it is um, uh, the fact that a rigid belief in something is a dangerous thing. Mm -hmm. um, an unwillingness to stay open to uh, influences that might uh, change the way you think or the way you think of somebody uh, is so important because, you know, it wasn't just this priest, it was the Catholic Church. And I'm, I'm thinking that there's a lot of fundamentalist uh, faiths, Baptists, that had very, have very rigid doctrine. Uh, that uh, if you don't believe, you're not, you know, a true, true Christian or whatever. And um, that leads to blind faith. Mm -hmm. And that's why this priest was able to get away with everything that he got away from. And he hurt a lot of people. And, and that was another reason that I wanted to write the book is because all the stories you hear are about individuals who have had these bad experiences. Uh, you don't often hear about the multiples of people that individual priests might hurt. And this person hurt a lot of people. Um, you'll, when you read the book, you'll find out that he did a lot of traveling. He got around the country a lot, because partly because of his hotels. Uh, so he was gone for long periods of time, and there's a very good... Uh, indication that while he was gone, he was perpetrating on, uh, you know, any woman that he could influence while he was traveling. And so he may have had hundreds of victims. I don't know if that's true, but it's very possible. And so, uh, you know, that rigid black and white faith that we had in, that, in our priests was not rewarded, well rewarded. It should have given us some skepticism. I mean, what's happened and what's been revealed should make us skeptical. But that doesn't really mean that God is bad. It's just that we're unable to think things through and separate individuals from, you know, the church. Um, well, there's so much more I could talk about because uh, this this whole thing with with the Catholic priests getting away for years and years with all this is is uh is so so much due to the hierarchical nature of the catholic church i can mm -hmm. do a whole whole program on that myself um, yeah. <laughs> you, yeah you you more than likely could but i <laughs> i love how you literally summed it up so perfectly um the true message and why i'm so thankful um that god god saw fit for us to have this conversation is that yes this hurt does happen within the church and individuals can do a lot of hurt and corruption, right? That stand in the place of, you know, religious leaders that, you know, we trust and place our faith in. But one of the things that you said that, that, oh my God, was perfect in the whole, whole explanation and reason for this call is that that does not at all give a definition to what and who God is. Um, and so for the individual listening, whoever it may be, right, I hope that at some place in your heart, even if not for today, 
um, that the account from servant leader Charles Utter, um, you know, allows you to see, I probably hear my baby girl Hendrix, she's trying to get a word in. Um, <laughs> but I hope you all in all seriousness see that, yes, it's it's not a a hiding of these things that may happen in the church. It's not anybody trying to brush under the rug, right? Servant leadership in true form and action is really what you did today. Um, but I, I never wanted to override the goodness of who God is in that pain. And so I'm so thankful for your message. I'm so thankful for uh, your courage uh, to give the account uh, in this book. I will make sure, definitely going to make sure that I place the links and everything in the show notes so that anybody that would like to go and purchase that can do that. Uh, but Mr. Charles, I, I just want you to know that it's been an honor and a pleasure. And I definitely want to still stay connected with you because it truly takes um, individuals like yourself um, to definitely place the truth in action, um, but also show that redemption story that even in our pain um, and even the things that may um, move us uh, from God, that there is a return. There is a centering, not only in prayer, um, but in the Holy Spirit guiding us and moving us. So I truly thank you for joining me today. Thank, well, thank you. I, I actually just really enjoy getting to know you better and have more interaction with you. Be, no, uh, likewise. Likewise. Thank you so much. And, you know, for our listeners, as we begin to close here, uh, my biggest prayer um, before we close out in prayer is that as you move through and, and we talk to amazing servant leaders like uh, Mr. Charles today, uh, you will find that it, it isn't by happenstance, just like I said on the beginning of this call in this meeting, it isn't by accident that these connections happen to these servant leaders around the world, because maybe just maybe it is the conversation you need to hear. It's that one liner you might need to hear. It's that, you know, that quote or whatever the case may be that you need to hear that allows you to allow the Holy Spirit, much like Charles Utter said today, to help you see what needs to be healed. So before we get out, if you all would just bow your heads, unless you're driving, uh, we're going to say a quick prayer. <laughs> Lord, we just thank you. We always thank you for your time. We thank you so much just for uh, these connections. Um, we know and, and we thank you just for your power to be able to connect dots and, and close circles to get your message across. Rather it be one, rather it be a thousand, whatever the case may be, I ask Lord God that you continue to be that same healer that servant leader Charles Utter mentioned today to those that are in pain to those that have had and experienced hurt within the church, for those that may have decided to move away and that their faith that was broken by someone allowed their faith to be removed in you. And so we're asking that, Lord, you allow us to continue to be lights as we move and navigate in, in our writing, in our podcasts, in our coaching, in our walks of life, in our families, so that those that may not know you or those that may have drifted because of the pain, that they can see the light, Lord God, and travel back to you again. We thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this chance meeting. We thank you for this hour. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for that, Chelsea. That was beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, my favorite line of the podcast, servant leader Charles Utter, you are now a part of this servant leader family. I feel mm -hmm. like it just got bigger and stronger because you're a part of us. 
Happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm telling you now, I'm going to purchase the book. You all go to Amazon right now. The link, click the link in the show notes. It will be there. I'm telling you again, and something tells me, Charles, that we're going to stay connected and be talking for years to come, my friend. That would be fantastic. You have a great <laughs> You too. We thank you all for listening. We'll see you guys next time. I sure will. (laughs) Bye-bye now. Good night.